So here we are in the book of Daniel, chapter 2. We're beginning chapter 2 today, so I'm going to read, wow, I'm going to read 13 verses if you want to follow along in your Bibles, Daniel 2, 1 through 13, or up on the screen, but it's good to stay in practice turning in your own Bible to that passage. Daniel 2, beginning verse 1, now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. Then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I have had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will give the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, My decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut to pieces, and your houses shall be made an ash heap. However, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation." They answered again and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will give its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time because you see that my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me, there is only one decree for you, for you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation." The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such things of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. It is a difficult thing that the king requests, and there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. For this reason, the king was so angry and very furious and gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out, and they began killing the wise men, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Let's pray. Father, we lift up this time in your word this morning. Pray that you give us insight, understanding, revelation, inspiration. Lord, just make your word come alive to us this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we've talked about the uh, disparities between how the Israelis counted your accession first year of reign and so forth with the Babylonians. Now, in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, according to Adam Clark, one of my favorite old-time, old-school commentators, this was the second year of his reigning alone, for he was king for two years before his father's death. That would happen oftentimes as a king was nearing the end of his life, the end of his reign. The son would become co-regent, kind of like an internship, and so the second year of his reigning alone, but he was two years with his father before his father's death. So actually, if you add all that up, this was the fifth year of his reign and the fourth year of captivity for Daniel, Azariah, Hananiah, and Mishael, later to be known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And of course, as we've already learned in this brief time we've been in the book of Daniel, Daniel's Babylonian name was Belteshazzar, Belteshazzar. So, in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. Everybody has dreams. 
I think my wife's a more prolific dreamer than I am. I don't know. I don't, she's always having wild dreams. I, but I do. I guess it depends on what level of sleep you enter into. I don't know. But everybody does have dreams. And oftentimes those dreams are born out of our own subconscious thoughts, fears, hopes, etc. But sometimes dreams are supernatural in origin and contain a message from God. This is Joseph speaking to Pharaoh's cup bearer and baker. Genesis 40 verse 8, they said to him, we each have had a dream and there is no interpreter of it. So Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me please. And of course Joseph did in fact interpret those dreams for them. And then he has one where he interprets one for Pharaoh. Genesis 41:25. Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. So he's had multiple dreams, but they all have the same message. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. And so Joseph again goes on to, and that's what wins him high favor with Pharaoh. And ultimately Joseph becomes the number two ruler in the land of Egypt. Now in Numbers 12:5, the Lord came down in the pillar of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, Moses' brother and sister. They both went forward. Then he said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. So it's, there's no doubt that God has at many times throughout human history given information to people through dreams and visions. Joel 2.28 it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Old men are more prone to taking naps during the day, right? So it's easier to God, for God to work with old men and dreams. Young men shall see visions. And of course, Peter quotes this passage from Joel in Acts 2.17. And he says, in the last days, or it shall come to pass afterward, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. But the scriptures also issue strict warnings against the deception of false dreams. Jeremiah 23, 32. Behold, I am against those who prophesy false dreams, says the Lord, and, and tell them and cause my people to err by their lies and by their recklessness. Yet I did not send them or command them, therefore they shall not profit this people at all, says the Lord. Jeremiah 27, 9. Therefore do not listen to your prophets, your diviners, your dreamers, your soothsayers, or your sorcerers, who speak to you saying, you shall not serve the king of Babylon. In other words, prior to the Babylonian captivity, these false prophets were telling the people, it's all good, you have nothing to worry about, the economy is great. Yeah. <laughs> Oops, I did it again. Pardon, sorry. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> I'm trying. You know what, I need the, the flagellation machine right up here on the platform. And every time I do that, I can kick myself. Okay. <laughs> so these guys were hirelings. They were paid 
by the people to tell them what they wanted to hear, false prophets. And God says, don't listen to them when they tell you, you shall not serve the king of Babylon, because guess what? You will. You are going into captivity. Jeremiah 29.8 For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you, nor listen to your dreams which you caused to be dreamed. So you see, we have to be really careful with this whole issue. We're going to see as we go through this passage in chapter 2 that Daniel was the only one who could interpret the dream, and that's because God by his Holy Spirit, gave him the interpretation. There are people who make a living as so-called dream interpreters or dream analysts that kind of flows over into the psychological, psychiatric community. And uh, I know sometimes people get very freaked out by their dreams. But you have to understand that uh, particularly if you're not protected by the Holy Spirit of God, which happens when you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, the enemy can mess with your dreams. The enemy can mess with your thought life, obviously, when you're awake. And he can also mess with your dreams when you're asleep. So all these things need to be considered as we talk about this issue of dreams and interpretations. And I know many people through the years have been deceived and misled, just like God is warning the people of Israel about. It's been said many times, I'll say it again, we should not seek the gift, we should seek the giver. And then God will give you the gifts that he wants you to have. If God is not the source of the dream, then the seeking after and interpreting of the prophetic dreams becomes an occult practice associated with divination and sorcery. And you already see this manifesting itself because these Chaldeans and the sorcerers and magicians and Nebuchadnezzar's court are kind of freaking out here because if Nebuchadnezzar would have told them the dream, they could have come up with any interpretation they wanted to. But because he insists that they also tell him, well, what did I dream? What was my dream? Because Nebuchadnezzar knew if they could tell him what the dream was, then they could probably interpret it as well. And I'm kind of jumping my head of myself here, but that's okay. Now, in chapter 1, we were told that God gave this gift to Daniel because of his faith and trust in God's ability to give him strength and to protect him from defilement. Remember Daniel's fast. Daniel 1.17, As for these four young men, Daniel and his friends, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. So God honored all of them and enabled them to greatly excel in their education and in wisdom, but Daniel received an extra special gift of interpreting visions and dreams. And then we're told his spirit, Nebuchadnezzar's spirit, was so troubled that his sleep left him. He had insomnia. He couldn't sleep. He was obsessed by the dreams that he was having. He kept having the same recurring dreams and he couldn't understand them. And so he obviously expected that these were more than just baklava at midnight. Verse 2. Then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. 
Interestingly, the word magician here means those who use the pen like a writing instrument. Those that were learned in the sacred writings of the Babylonians, textual scribes of the, the religious ritual, kind of like the Jewish scribes of Jesus' time. So the magicians were actually those who were learned in the sacred writings of the Babylonians. The astrologers, those who studied the stars, not objectively like astronomers. Astronomy we recognize as a legitimate science, but we know that astrology, if you've ever read your horoscope, and I met a guy many, many years ago that was, uh, was a very deep into astrology, knew how to do all the charts and all these things, but there's an occultic element or intent with astrology, horoscope, forecasting, etc. So we have the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers. They were the ones who deal in magic potions and receive power from demons. Finally, the Chaldeans, or they're also referred to as the enchanters. The Chaldeans were a class of Babylonian wise men slash priests. The wisdom of the Chaldeans consisted of sciences current at the time, including, see how much science has changed. Not less necessarily that it's that much better, but the science of the times included the interpretation of omens communicated through astrology, the examination of livers, obviously livers that have been removed from the animal or whoever, kidneys, other animal entrails. How'd you like to make your living doing that? And the examination of the organs and flight patterns of birds. <laughs> This is the group of people that Nebuchadnezzar called in. He called in all the supernatural firepower that he could muster. And the king said to them, I have had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever, whether they meant it or not, of course. Tell your servants the dream, and we will give the interpretation. Now, Akkadian was the traditional language of the Babylonians, but Aramaic was the common language of the Assyrian Empire. In fact, that was the common language in Israel at the time Christ came on the scene. These are Semitic languages. Hebrew, Aramaic, it was the common language of the Assyrian Empire. Kind of like uh, in, in the Great Britain, you have English, but you also have Celtic, particularly Ireland, Scotland, Celtic, Wales, Welsh, and so both were in use in the Neo-Babylonian and Persian empires as a diplomatic and commercial language, that being Aramaic. Daniel chapter 2, verse 4, all the way through Daniel 7, 28, is actually written in Aramaic. So these guys tell the king, O king, live forever. You better say that, right? Tell your servants the dream, and we will give you the interpretation. What were they supposed to tell him? No way, Jose? but they're trying to negotiate. They seemed quite confident in their corporate ability to come up with the interpretation or some interpretation if only he would tell them the dream. And uh, the supernatural abilities, and this is where we talked about the false visions and false dreams, the supernatural abilities imparted by Satan are just counterfeit for the real thing, which are the spiritual gifts from God. If you remember, 
when um, Aaron and Moses confronted Pharaoh in his court, Moses threw down his staff. It became a snake. And then Janus and Jambres, the magicians in Pharaoh's court, copied it. They threw down their staffs. They became snakes. But the cool thing was Moses' snake ate their snakes, showing the difference between real supernatural and counterfeit. Moses had gifts like Daniel. Moses would hold forth his staff. The Red Sea parted, all imparted by the Spirit of God to him. So in verse 5, the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces and your houses shall be made an ash heap. My decision is firm. So he's saying, what I'm about to tell you here is irreversible, non-revocable, take it to the bank. And they knew he meant business. He was testing them to see if they could tell him the content without any prior knowledge there's a good chance their interpretation would be accurate. Of course, the uh, consequence is not all that desirable. You shall be cut in pieces. Your houses shall be made in ash heap. No intimidation here, right? He's making them an offer they can't refuse. Like the Godfather. Either they deliver the goods or they will all be dismembered. Not just disfellowshipped, dismembered. Since their houses would be destroyed as well, we can assume that their families would also be disposed of as well. That's usually how it worked. Not just in ancient times, but we see this even in modern situations around the world where some tyrannical despot comes to power. They're certainly not distinguishing between men, women, boys, and girls over in Ukraine, are they? The Russians. So, unfortunately, when we find ourselves in that kind of a situation, it affects everyone around us. It's kind of like Babylonian family feud. One wrong answer and the whole family goes down. That was supposed to be funny. But... Okay. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Courtesy laugh. Thank you. God bless you. Okay, verse 6. <laughs> However, if you tell the dream in its interpretation... You shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. So here we have glory, honor, and gold versus guts and gore. One or the other, no in-between. Feast or famine. Can you imagine these guys are just sweating bullets right now? I doubt at this point that his promise of riches, gifts, rewards, great honor are really that enticing. They're much more focused on being dismembered. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. He doesn't give him any leeway, no grace period, any time to consort and consult. He wants it right now. So they answered again and said, let the king tell his servants the dream. And we, <laughs> this is a back and forth. And we will give its interpretation. At this point, you know Nebuchadnezzar is losing his patience. Come on, king, give us a break. We can fake an interpretation, but we can't fake the content of the dream. That would be a, quote, dead giveaway. So the king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time because you see that my decision is firm. 
You guys are stalling. I know it. And you could probably see the beads of sweat on their brows, a white, chalky pastiness on their faces, maybe a few knees knocking below the robes. Verse 9, if you do not make known the dream to me, there is only one decree for you, for you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. Only one decree for you if you do not make known the dream to me. The king's not backing down. They keep trying to get him to back down. He's invested a lot in these so-called wise men, and he expects results. And it really is a, kind of an example, the difference between those who have basically sold out to Satan and those who have sold out to God. God is very loving, very gracious, very merciful, very forgiving, always there to pick us up, dust us off, renew us, restore us as we come to him in confession and repentance of our sins. Our relationship with God is not based upon our performance. It's based upon his grace. That he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, into this world to die on the cross for our sins. We're saved by grace through faith. Not of works, lest any man should boast. But those who sign up to serve the devil, it's a whole different ball game. Notice the promise. Either I get my desired results and you get riches, glory, honor, and so forth. But if you fail me, I'm cutting you to pieces. And that's exactly how the devil works. And even if you do his bidding, there will come a time when he will call in your scorecard and you will pay the price. He is not a loving, gracious, merciful master like our God is. And we see that contrast here. For you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words. He concludes from their stalling that their intent is to cook up some false interpretation. Till the time has changed, hoping the situation will change is another way of interpreting it. So the situation being that impending dismemberment, you're stalling for time till the time has changed, hoping the situation will change and I'll let you off the hook. But it's not happening. It's not happening. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. So again, to re-emphasize and reiterate, if they truly possessed supernatural abilities, then revealing the content of the dream should be no more difficult than interpreting it. So your average run-of-the-mill dream interpreter will wait until you tell them your dream, and then they can come up with anything, and you won't know the difference. Pretty good test, isn't it? So verse 10, the Chaldeans answered the king and said, so they finally, throwing up their hands, there's not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such things of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. But actually, there is a man on earth who can tell the king's matter, Daniel. 
So in effect, the wise men admitted that their previous interpretation, listen to this, so, okay, if they're now telling the king, nobody can do this, it's impossible. So does that mean all the previous interpretations they've given him in the past have been fake? That would seem to be the case. They were inaccurate and deceptive. Verse 11, it's a difficult thing that the king requests, and there's no other who can tell it to the king except the gods, little g, the gods that they worshipped, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Now, they were right in one regard. Their gods, little g, did not live among men because they didn't really exist other than demonic entities posing deceptively as gods. But the God, our God, does live among men, does he not? Luke 137, Jesus says, For with God nothing will be impossible. Luke 18, 27, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. And so it might be impossible for them, but not for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Daniel and his friends. Verse 12, For this reason the king was angry and very furious and gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. To do anything less would totally undermine his authority, his credibility as king. He himself had said, I have firmly decided. Verse 13, so the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. Now, it would appear then, Daniel and his friends were apparently not present at this meeting, they were still interns, if you will. They were still going to the college of the Chaldeans. They were part of the Chaldean community and were subject to the same extermination along with all the others. We know ultimately that does not happen, but at this point it doesn't look good for them. Looks like they're in hot water again. First time was when they were about to be forced to eat unclean foods and so forth, the delicacies of the king, and God gave them favor. They were able to eat nothing but vegetables and drink water during that period of time. And now they're under the gun again. 